0: Sejam muito bem-vindos a mais um episódio do IBGC Connecta. Eu sou Ricardo Rochelle, Managing Partner na R Rochelle Consultoria e Coordenador da Comissão Internacional no IBGC. Hoje contamos com a presença de um convidado internacional. So, let's switch to English. Some say that corporate boards only have value when companies are in crisis. If that is true, the 2020 global pandemic presents a moment for corporate boards to step up like no water. With that in mind, I have the pleasure to have here with us Mr. Raul Baduash, who is the president and CEO at the Institute of Corporate Directors in Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Raul. My pleasure. Raul, let's start up this podcast with a brainstorming question. How do boards should be prepared for the disasters no one can imagine like the pandemic scenario we are facing at this time?
1: I think that's a great question and a lot of boards are asking the same things and Ricardo you'll recall the last couple of years the notion of uh, black swans or those things that nobody could imagine became a very big issue for a lot of boards and I might add that even in the context of a pandemic right now There are those that saying uh, that if boards were paying attention to this, that folks knew this was coming, that it shouldn't have been such a black swan. But I think there'll be a good debrief afterwards for a lot of boards to understand what did they know and what did they miss. All that being said though, You know, in Canada, when we think about how do boards react in a situation like this, or more importantly, how do they prepare themselves? It's all within the traditional framework of fiduciary duty. So not to get too technical here, but you know, the fiduciary duty of a board is to, you know, do what's in the best interest of the corporation. And that often is through oversight of strategy. And when you think of oversight of strategy, you have to think about the other side of strategy, which is risk managing risk. So if a board is focused not only on strategy, on how the company is creating value for its shareholders and for its stakeholders, how it's doing that in a competitive environment, a good board would also be saying, well, what are the weaknesses to that strategy, both internal and external? And therefore, what are the risks? And spending a lot of time thinking about the risks is one very important way for boards to be preparing themselves, and their organizations for these potential black swans. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about how that can happen. Actually, yeah, risk
0: management uh, it's a it's a very hot topic. Yes, that that can express yes the, the benchmark and the best way yeah, to manage what you are facing right now.
1: Exactly. And a lot of boards are struggling with how do they do this, right down to you know how do they structure their agendas because everybody knows that a board agenda has just become so much more complex between the regulatory and compliance that's been added on, as well as all of the other issues, whether it be digital competition or cyber risk or oversight of culture, that the role of a director has just become that much more complex. So the role of a chair is really important on helping to create an agenda where there's actually time to focus on more strategic issues and risk management, so frankly, to make it a priority. And then if you take it to a logical extension, the very notion of the composition of the board suddenly becomes really important because the makeup of the board has to be connected with not only the oversight function that the board might have over management and operations, but also the oversight function over strategy. So in other words of saying this, that uh, you've got to make sure that you've got a board that's diverse enough to be able to have oversight of risk in areas. So if you're going into, let's say digital, you know, it's important to have board competency that can not only understand the strategic side of digital, but the risk part of that side. Or if you're going into a new market, a new geographic market, it's helpful to have somebody on your board who can actually appreciate the opportunities and the risks in going into those markets. So board composition is also an important element of this conversation. Actually, I could not agree more with you, Raul. So,
0: Raul, once you said that Canada's corporate governance is a competitive advantage to attract investments. So, how can this be measured?
1: Or can this be measured? Sure. Well, thanks for remembering that, that line, because mm-hmm. I must say, as a part of what I do at the Institute of Corporate Directors in Canada, you know, we've got a very broad country, over 15,000 members. And I'm trying to remind people about the importance of of good corporate governance. And I've made the case to them that it's time to make corporate governance Canada's global competitive advantage. And many people understood that. And they nodded their heads and they say, yes, we can see how that can be a competitive advantage. And many of them have asked the question that you do, which is, how do we measure that? So there's no simple KPI for something like this. But I can advance the thinking a little bit. First of all to remind everybody that when we're talking about good corporate governance it's about building trust. It's about building trust in our customers, building trust with our employees, building trust with our investors, building trust with the you know the shareholders, with management. It's about building trust. And we know that there are a number of organizations out there uh, that already do their trust barometers and measurement and research on trust. So I think it's really important for let's say a country or an industry to be able to see where it ranks in trust and if the trend line is positive or the trend line is negative. Now I'll take that to an even further step. The very purpose that we have at the Institute of Corporate Directors in Canada is to build trust and confidence in Canadian organizations, and it's all about by developing and activating directors so at the ICD we talk about trust and that's why we exist so we're looking at all different ways of measuring that and when we think about it from a very simple corporate term you know capital inflows is a really good way of looking at it as well in other words if all things being equal you're not seeing capital inflows into your industry or into your Um, into your country or your capital markets, you know, trust may be a reason that's not happening, all things being equal. And you can look at your corporate governance as something that can actually help build confidence in capital or people or resources coming into your industry and your country, recognizing that there's good corporate governance that's going to mine those investments and it's going to allocate capital effectively and have proper oversight. So. It's not the only reason, but it's one reason. But it's never a simple one-size-fits-all KPI. I think a lot of companies can look at it their own way, as can a lot of industries.
0: Well, quite impressive. I'd like to pick one very hot topic, which is in regards to ESG. It's known that Canada, it's a leading country when ESG comes into discussion. So which are in your view, the challenges and opportunities, the main trends focusing on income inequality, education,
1: and health? Right. So, this is a very timely topic. And I must admit, I'm personally quite uh, surprised and pleased at the same time to the extent that ESG has suddenly become such a big topic so quickly. And I think part and parcel it had to do, at least in North America, you know, part and parcel to do with the pandemic, part and parcel to do with, you know, the momentum towards the climate change conversation, and I'll get into that in a minute, and part and parcel to things like Black Lives Matter and the social inequalities and inequities that people have been seeing over the last couple of years. And suddenly there's this big wind of change that's come through, and ESG has become the big topic everywhere. We're doing a lot of programming events and education, by the way, at the ICD4 Direct in this area. Big topic. Let me try to boil it down to, to a couple of perspectives on this. One of them is that there's a societal expectation that's driving environment, social, and governance and ESG. And society has certain expectations of corporations these days that didn't exist quite the same way before. So we you know we go back, you know, a couple of decades and we know the old Milton Friedman saying the business of business is business, which is to say that corporations exist solely to enhance shareholder value. That evolved over time and people started looking at it and saying, well, no no actually, there are other stakeholders beyond shareholders who we need to be aware of because corporations have you know they have both obligations but they also have impacts that are very important whether it be on their customers, their employees, or it could be amongst stakeholders where they host their operations. And that gave rise to a conversation around shareholder capitalism versus stakeholder capitalism. Now, I would say in Canada, we've already had a very stakeholder centric view since the late nineties, where we had a particular case called the BCE case. Now, what this actually said was that boards can look At other stakeholders, other than shareholders, as they're making determinations as to where their corporation could be going. And in effect, they're saying you are properly executing your fiduciary duty when you look at other stakeholders. So shareholders can't say you only have to look at me. Now that's been expanded and it's grown in a lot of different ways. But what we're seeing these days is that there's the social expectation that I've been speaking about, but the from the investor perspective, they're also having very strong views as it relates to ESG as well. So what they're looking at, investors are saying, what's the impact of the environment, social, and governance on long-term sustainable performance of the organization? I.e., now we see shareholder value and stakeholder value beginning to become quite aligned. And the challenge now for boards is to really seek alignment for their organizations, to balance shareholder value and stakeholder value. So it's not an either or, but they need to come together. It's, no, it's not a simple thing to do. I think, you know, it can be quite tricky in some cases, but when boards are evaluating decisions within their, their strategy, the, the idea is now to align the interests of their shareholders and others. Stakeholders, but when I come back to how you actually do that in the context of ESG, we're seeing right now a big issue is around measurement. So when you think about uh, emplo- uh, environmental, in particular, you know we're looking at climate change, and you're looking at society saying, "Gee, we want to see uh, corporations make some serious contributions to positive." Uh, in the positive direction here and we're seeing the investor community saying to corporations you need to disclose so we can actually understand here how we look at the risk framework around environmental so you know what are you doing in terms of perhaps being carbon neutral but on the other hand if you've got assets that are going to be stranded assets how do we as investors value that and we know that SASB and a host of others are trying to bring together frameworks so you can have some sort of coherence in capital markets to evaluate and disclose those risks. On the social side, we're seeing that very much around diversity on boards right now. and in Canada we made some extraordinary progress around diversity that's in fact made its way into our federal corporate law and around governance itself. We're seeing that particularly in, in the institutional investor side, you know they're really looking at governance, whether it's dual class shares, whether it's term limits, or whether it's diversity on boards, they want to make sure that governance is a very key element of what a corporation is doing and disclosing. I know that's a slightly long answer, but it's a pretty complicated area. No, it's
0: very, very crystal clear to me. Actually, I can see in that ICUD is performing several discussions in regards to the climate change. One that really got my attention was in in regards to the Canadian board's role in climate strategy creation. Can you chime in a little bit about that?
1: Sure, well, I'm very pleased to say that recently we became the the lead chapter in Canada for the Climate Governance Initiative under the World Economic Forum. So we're working with a host of, of other parties, including the World Economic Forum, to really shine a light on what do boards need to do to ensure that the E and ESG is actually built into their governance and their oversight of strategy and their oversight of risk. So how do they actually build it into their oversight, You know, create KPIs out of that, actually incent management to do good work there and also build trust in both society and capital markets by having a coherent disclosure about what the risks and the opportunities are in that space of the environment and climate. Got it, got it. How,
0: let's discuss a little bit about super voting shares. We can see a trend increase of the super voting shares, mainly taken into consideration that some companies are making IPOs in USA. Once in their country of origin, the, the legislation does not allow such process. How do you see such move?
1: Yeah. That's a really interesting question. I think uh, in Canada, we've had dual class shares and uh, in some cases that's been welcomed. In most cases, it's been frowned upon. But these super voting shares that you're talking about is, is a turbocharged version of that. And I got to say, in some cases, it's, it's pretty bold. You know, I think there seems to be a recognition that founders, when they're going IPO, you know, they want to protect their interests, but I think there seems to be a prevailing view that if those interests are going to be protected by these voting shares, that at some point they should time out. In other words, it shouldn't be something that's left out there forever. And, and I think what's driving that are a couple of things. One is, if I can call it the orthodoxy of corporate governance. It's pretty simple. It's based on, you know, a good principle of good corporate governance is that all common shares are voting shares and the votes are proportionate to equity ownership. So the problem becomes is when you've got a creating shareholder, excuse me, a controlling shareholder, they might not have significant equity in the stake of a company, but they might have voting control. And this sort of offends somewhat the the traditional orthodoxy of corporate governance, but we certainly know that it's, it's happening. And we know that those that are putting these shares forward are also saying to others, look, you know, you can buy with your eyes open. Nobody's forcing you to take a position, an equity position in a company. You can choose to take these shares on these bases or or, or not. And we know that, you know, the super voting shares are only one form of shares. There are all sorts of different types of shares with all sorts of different share provisions in there. And people can pick and choose on whether they want to invest in that. But I think this is, you know, raising a question though about, you know, is this actually creating shareholder value and is it fair to all shareholders? So a couple of questions that people can ask themselves when they're looking at, you know, whether they're super voting shares or dual class shares are, you know, when you look at them, you know, do shares that aren't the super voting shares, that they still have the right to elect a certain number of board members? You know, that takes down the risk a little bit and there's a little bit more influence in the overall strategy and, and somewhat towards the, the operations. And then there's, in Canada at least, we have what we call coattail provisions. And coattail provisions, you know, can often protect minority shareholders in the event that controlling shareholders are going to sell. So those super voting shares that give these enormous rights to uh, to small equity holders, you know, the point is at the end of the day, if they want to sell those shares, is that benefit, at least, is it shared in an equitable fashion with other different classes of shareholders? So those would be coattail provisions, and those could be different all along uh, the, the spectrum. And then, of course, you know, the, the real question is, though, is, you know, does a controlling shareholder's voting power, you know, does it really compare with their economic interests? And that's something any investor needs to be asking themselves when they're looking at investing in a company.
0: Actually, unfortunately, we are getting close to the end of our podcast, but I could not finish this without asking you one last question. So in your view, which are the topics that need to be in the board priorities from now
1: on? That's a great question. You know, in this time of accelerated uncertainty, you know, boards have got to try to prioritize their time, I think. You know, over the last couple of months, everybody's been focused on liquidity. And once you've got a certain comfort level around that, I think smart boards are saying, what are we doing to survive? And smarter boards are saying, well, what are we doing to thrive? Because there will be opportunities in the post pandemic world. You know, if I had to look ahead, I think that some of the topics, you know, that have come in the past have accelerated dramatically in the future of work, and really understanding that in their organization. And global uncertainty, I think you know, boards need to stay connected and they need to really be focused on, you know, how do they navigate this? And above all, I think digital. And I think most companies have seen that even if they had digital um, on their radar, that they've made ten years of progress in six months. That's gonna have extraordinary impact over the long term.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Definitely several learnings to me and for the audience. And once again, thanks so much.
1: Thank you. My pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to coming down and meeting you again soon.
0: I have a final
1: remark. This pandemic will
0: test the organizations to preserve, ensure, and to be resilient. Boards can play an outsized role in providing the ultimate pressure test of an organization's position and purpose, as what is decided today will define the future. Esse podcast faz parte da programação do 21º Congresso do IBGC, que aborda a governança corporativa que inspira, inclui e transforma. Quer saber mais? Acesse www.ibgc.org.br/congresso. Este ano, o congresso é 100% digital e ocorre entre os dias 3 e 27 de novembro. Dúvidas e sugestões podem ser enviadas para comunicacao@ibgc.org.br, comunicacao sem cedilha e sentiu. Até o próximo. Tchau!